Isaiah 65, 17 through 19, and 23 through 25. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping or the cry of distress. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good to see you all. Thanks for joining us today. I will try to make my remarks as quickly as possible because I know you aren't here to to hear me talk. Um, But thank you for joining us, those who are here for the kids program. Today is the third Sunday in the Advent season, and today the sun is going to set at 4.57 p.m. I'm sorry to remind you of that. That makes for a long night. However, if you drive by my house at that time or any time after that, you would not know that it's night. It's as though the sun is still shining due to the blindingly bright display of cheery Christmas lights at the house next door. (laughs) I I don't know if our neighbor is in a race to catch up with Clark Griswold's 25,000 imported Italian twinkle lights, or if sights are set even higher, something like Silver Dollar City's 6.5 million Christmas lights, neither would surprise me, because the display is only getting more intense as the years advance. And this year's edition was made to the tree right outside of our bedroom window. (laughs) And we do not have block-out curtains. That tree, right outside of our window, has now been wrapped in a blanket of LED strobe lights. (laughs) This, I'm I'm not joking, this sounds like an exaggeration, but I am convinced it's enough light to read by in our house at night with the lights off. At the same, it sounds like I'm complaining, and maybe I am, but at the same time, it's hard to be upset because Christmas lights bring so much delight and joy, especially for young children, but even grumpy old grown-ups like myself, there is something really special about this tradition, something about bright, cheery lights during the shortest days of the year, a reminder for us, I think, that the night won't last forever. The night won't last forever. On the church calendar, today is referred to as Gaudette Sunday. If you're thinking it sounds like you're speaking a foreign language, you would be correct. Although I don't speak Latin, Gaudette is a Latin word meaning rejoice. 
So we might think of this as Rejoicing Sunday. The third Sunday in the Advent season offers a bit of a reprieve from the heaviness that has defined the season thus far. So while the nights continue to lengthen, that increasing darkness is only temporary. Today we, we come up for air, so to speak. Today the proverbial light at the end of the tunnel begins to shine, albeit ever so dimly. We are almost there. You know, we saw hints at this change in tone throughout the service already in the prayers that we prayed together, the scriptures we read, and, and it's all going to culminate in perhaps the most joyous of occasions, a nativity program from our children. What, what instills joy more than that? We also saw that change in tone in the Advent wreath. This is a visible symbol that we participate in throughout this season to hopefully spark our imaginations to encourage us in our anticipation and expectation of the coming Christ. But you may have noticed today we lit a candle that is a different color. It's not as though that that's intentional. Hobby Lobby didn't run out of the purple candles, forcing our hand to, to go with the light pink to round out the wreath. Um, this was an intentional change. That deep purple color is the liturgical color for the season of Advent. You see that in this banner over to my left. The, these visible symbols, again, are hopefully nurturing our imaginations and keeping us aware of the, the various seasons we are in throughout the year. But today, that deep color of purple is substituted with the light pink as a reminder that the weight, the heaviness that we have been sitting with throughout this season, that it doesn't last forever. Now, two weeks ago, we spent time reflecting on Isaiah 64, the chapter that comes just before what we read from Isaiah. It was a prophetic prayer of anticipation for the coming Messiah and his kingdom. A prayer that first and foremost, of course, was instructing Israel thousands of years ago, but I think it's possible that it might also highlight for us appropriate ways of waiting for God in any era. I want to return to that prayer briefly before our children come and, and highlight one additional affirmation that is made in that prayer, and that is the fact that our God is faithful to act on behalf of those who wait for him. This is the statement we find in the middle section of that chapter in verse 5. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in your ways. Well, there is an urging of the people of Israel um, to conform to the ways of God, to pattern their lives after their God and king. So for the prophet, remembering God was not just a cognitive process, but it involved the very everyday lives, the, the real world of the people of God. However, at the end of the chapter, we do see memory itself, I think, being highlighted. Our, our thoughts about God, who God is, what God has done in the past, remembering God's relational connection to his people throughout history is brought to the forefront of the mind of the reader. 
so we've spent the month asking the question how do we prepare for the arrival of christ what is god doing in the midst of the seemingly endless night in the midst of the wait and how do we as god's people wait in ways that are healthy and faithful it's the question we've been asking i want to offer one additional simple suggestion and that is that we wait faithfully by remembering that god acts god is faithful to act and one way that we can grow in our capacity to trust in the ongoing presence and activity of God today is by rehearsing and remembering his presence and activity among his people in the past. And that is a part of the story that we tell and enter into during the Advent season. I think this is also a part of the process we see the people of Israel entering into through a prayer like the one we read in this text. The reminder that despite their continued failure, the promise of God was always that he would send a servant empowered by the Spirit to restore and rescue his people, drawing all nations to himself once and for all. That whole chapter that we're in, Isaiah 64, is a prayer of repentance and preparation for this coming servant, the Messianic King. And as such, I think this prayer might offer some insight into how God's people in any era might wait for the arrival of God. We see it in the instruction to Israel to wait by remembering who their God is remembering the character of their God and what their relationship to God looked like. I want to draw your attention to the section beginning in verse 8, where the prayer proceeds like this, But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please look, we are all your people. Your holy cities have become a wilderness. Zion has become a wilderness. Jerusalem a desolation. Our holy and beautiful house where our fathers praised you has been burned by fire and all our pleasant places have become ruins. Will you restrain yourself at these things, O Lord? Will you keep silent and afflict us so terribly? The answer to these questions, the answer to these pleas, I think is actually found at the beginning of this section. This is not a prayer offered to a malevolent, capricious, unpredictable God who the people must work to appease against all odds. This is a prayer offered in the secure context of relational fidelity and love. We believe you meet the one who joyfully works righteousness. But there's also an acknowledgement in the prayer. Unfortunately, that has not been us. And it has not been us for a really long time. Our righteousness is like filthy garments. Our iniquities are many. But again, this section begins, verse 8, but you are our Father. 
at our worst and, and most rebellious, at our filthiest, your love and embrace do not change. Our memory is drawn to the relational consistency of our God. You are the potter, the prayer says. We are the clay. You are the craftsman. We are your masterpiece. Those analogies are not intended to communicate that any failure on our part is actually the fault of God, as though the, the potter really messed up the vessel, or, or the craftsman dropped the masterpiece and marred it beyond recognition. Rather, these analogies, in my view, are simply a reminder of our dependence on God. We do not exist without God, like a child doesn't exist without a parent, a vessel without a potter, a masterpiece without a craftsman. God relates to his people with divine love, unwavering care, and an ever-sustaining hand. I invite you to remember that during this season in the midst of the wait, to remember and trust that God's relational fidelity can always be counted on. As Paul assures us in Romans 8, there is nothing, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. We remember who God is. We remember how God relates to his children. I, I think that process is essential if we hope to maintain a joyful disposition in the midst of any wait. Just as Isaiah 64 points the people of Israel to the unchanging nature and character of the Father, the author of Hebrews, right at the end of that letter, assures God's people in a similar way. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our God is faithful and can be relied upon. So my encouragement to you, I, I hope you sense this this morning, when it feels as though the wait is unending and terrifying, not just the figurative wait as we walk through Advent, but maybe the very real wait in your life today, when it feels unending and terrifying, remember the unchanging character of our God. Remember the care offered for us in the person of Jesus Christ. My prayer for you is that whatever your situation and circumstance today, that you would be filled with joy. Even if your circumstance wouldn't naturally lead to that, but that you would be filled with joy, reinvigorated to continue to face the future in trust because we rest in the secure arms of Jesus and we trust in his relational fidelity. Thanks be to God. I want to say a prayer for us as we prepare our hearts to hear the story, the quintessential story of God's relational fidelity to us. Emmanuel, God with us. And we open our hearts and our minds to receive that story, to receive that truth told to us from the youngest in our congregation. I want to say a prayer for us, and then I'll invite them to the front. Maybe. I, I don't see any activity back there, which I'm starting to get a little concerned. So 
maybe, maybe they're coming. We'll pray for that as well. <laughs> Let's prepare our hearts. Lord Jesus, we open our hearts to you today. Pray that you would make our hearts soft. Pray that we might receive the story that our children tell us with joy. And that it might be more than just a cute program, although it will be that. But that our hearts and imaginations might be stirred by the truth of your faithfulness that we might be drawn deeper into your loving arms. Pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Steve, do you want to let them...